In this series on no regrets, uh, we, we've primarily been looking at uh, our past, and we've said a couple things about regrets. We started by saying that there's some good in regret. I mean, regret can be a gift in that uh, hopefully it can teach us some things, it'll cause us to change, it'll motivate us to stop doing whatever we did in the past. Hopefully those people stopped doing that or they deserved every broken bone that they got. Hopefully you learn not to do that anymore. That's part of the good gift of of that feeling of regret that we have. Uh, Also, it turns us back to God. I mean, if we're spiritually sensitive, we know What's causing our conscience to feel the way it does is that's God drawing us back to Him. So uh, another good in regret is it draws us back into our relationship with God. But, but then we said last week, sometimes regret moves from just being a tutor, in other words, teaching us some good things, and it becomes a bully in our life. It becomes that constant reminder of our failures or one specific failure. And, and, and so we're constantly hounded, either on the inside or by outside voices, telling us, you'll never measure up, you blew it, you'll never get another chance. And, and, and that's when regret becomes a very destructive thing in our life. I, I, I want to move from looking at the regrets of the past, which we all have and we all have to deal with, and we all have to release to the forgiveness of God, <clears throat> and ask, how do, we, how do we prevent regrets in the future? Because we all know, I mean, obviously, you, you can't rewind the tape to past regrets and change anything. You can't do anything about what's already happened. Sometimes it feels like that would be nice if we had a life remote that worked kind of like a DVR or, or, or Netflix, and you could just push the rewind button, and, and it would take you right back to that place where your biggest regret was, and you'd get a do-over right there. Golfers, you get a mulligan right there. You, you rewind, and you hit play, and then you get to have that conversation a second time and say what you should have said instead of what you did say. Or you get to do something differently than you did the first time through that event. Or you get to move away from that relationship that you moved towards and now you look back with great regret. In some sense, it would be nice if you could just rewind yourself into that moment and clear everything up. But um, for a lot of reasons, that probably wouldn't work. Space-time continuum being one of them. But in addition to that... It probably wouldn't work because almost all of our regrets aren't just this one moment. We think of them that way. When you think of a regret, when I think of a regret, I think of a moment. I think of something I said. I think of something I did that I wish I could go undo or unsay. But the reality is regrets aren't just moments. We think of regrets as momentary actions or decisions. And we often fail to consider everything that came before this moment, right? I rewind to here, but I'd have to rewind way back here because there were 10 or 20 or 100 or a week's worth or a month's worth or a year's worth or or more than that worth of little decisions I made, little shortcuts I took, um, little ways of telling myself it's not that big a deal, it's not going to go anywhere, it doesn't really mean anything, no one else is going to find out. And all of those little decisions added up to the big regret that I have. So if you're going to rewind, you would have to rewind all the way 
to the beginning because regret is more than just that momentary moment. Regrets don't happen in a vacuum. They're not an isolated moment in my life. They're usually the culmination of a lot of little decisions that I've been ignoring or shortcuts I've been taking. So since we can't rewind, right? Since we can't go back and fix the past, right? The opportunity to control what is past has passed. The opportunity to control what has passed, what is in the past, has already passed us by. You can't go back and change it. You can't go back and fix it. You can't do anything about it. However, the opportunity to control what is in the future is still in our hands. The opportunity to shape what's going to come next is still in your control. And for my life, it's still in my control. And and don't don't take this too far. Obviously, we don't control the future. Obviously, there there are times that you and I make decisions and we we make the best decision possible in the moment. And and sometimes we even look back on those decisions that we thought were good ones and and we wish we would have done something else. I'm not saying we can remove any chance of ever having any regrets. What I am saying is that A lot of the control for the regrets that are going to come to your future are in your hands. And a lot of the control for the regrets in my future are in my hands. Think about it this way. The best time to fix a regret is not when you rewind to it. The best time to fix a regret is before it ever happens. How do I keep a regret from happening in my future, I can't change a regret from my past, but I can protect myself from having a regret in the future. The Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, Jesus especially, often made use of the metaphor of farming, the idea of planting and harvesting. Uh, sometimes the Bible uses the term sowing and reaping. And, and the consistent reminder is, Whatever we're putting into our life right now, whatever we're planting right now, is what we're going to harvest later on. The the actions that we're taking now are going to lead to a specific outcome somewhere down the road. The attitudes that I'm adopting right now, the, the spiritual disciplines that I'm implementing into my life, those are going to result in a specific outcome at some point in my future. We, we might not like to admit this, but you and I are the result today of all the choices we've made up to this point. We are the, you are where you are. I am where I am. My relationships are what they are. I'm the husband that I am. I'm the father that I am. I'm the person that I am today as a cumulative effect of all of the choices I've made up until this point, which means the choices that I'm making today are determining the person that I'm going to be in my future. The decisions that I make, the the relationships that are the strongest, that are the closest in my life, they are shaping the person that I'm going to become. So since we can't rewind, since, since we don't have a rewind button, Let me encourage you, at least as a mental exercise, to fast forward. What if we, instead of rewinding our life, we hit fast forward and we came to this part of our life? We 
Fast forwarded a year into our life, five years into our life, ten years into our life. October 20th, 2020. If we just hit fast forward on our life and we stop it one year from now, October 20th, 2020, and then we ask ourselves some questions. We ask questions like, what kind of person do I want to be one year from now? What do I want to be true of me? What, What do I want the perception that people have of me to be as much as it's in my control? What do I want that to be? One year from now, in my career, where do I want to be one year from now? My goals, where do I want to be one year from now? My marriage, what do I want it to look like one year from now? If I could fast forward my life one year, what do I want my marriage to look like? What do I want the characteristics to be? As a parent, what do I want my family to be? What do I want my relationship to my kids to be spiritually? What do I want to be true of me? Fast forward one year from now, it would look like this if I had control. And then rewind back to the day and begin to ask yourself, what are the choices that I have to start making today so that one year from now I'm that person? I'm the person not only that I want to be, I'm the person that I think God wants me to be. I'm in the relationships that I think God wants me to be in. I'm spiritually where I think God wants me to be because the choices you and I are making right now are determining what that person one year from now is going to be. What seeds, to go back to our farming metaphor, what seeds do you and I have to plant right now so that we get the harvest that we want a year from now? You see, avoiding regret isn't simply avoiding that one big decision out there in my future somewhere. Avoiding regret is managing the small decisions I'm making today. It's not just avoiding the, the, the big mistake. It's avoiding the daily small decisions today and tomorrow and next week. It's, it's establishing habits that will lead me to the person that I want to be, and recognizing the habits, the decisions, the attitudes, they're going to give me a harvest of regret. We see this pretty clearly if we're parents. Most parents see this clearly in their kids. The minute you see that a peer group is beginning to have a negative impact on your kid, you spring into action, don't you, mom and dad? Like you begin to strategize, okay, how do we move them out? How, how do we keep them away? We don't invite them over. No, you can't go out with. Like we, we see it in our kids. Like as soon, because we know, as their parents, we know it's not a real big thing right now, but we're seeing some little things show up. And the cumulative effect of those in a year or two years or by the time they graduate could put them in a really bad place. And we don't want to see that happen. We know that the little decisions they're making here in 8th grade, ninth grade, 10th grade is going to look a lot bigger and a lot different when they get to 12th grade or the first year of college. And so we spring into action, don't we, mom and dad? The problem is we have a more difficult time seeing it in ourselves. We have a more difficult time looking in the mirror and saying, This relationship is probably not really good for me. 
the influence this person has in my life is probably not a really good thing. I'm listening to this voice, and I probably shouldn't be. I'm running in this crowd, and I probably shouldn't be. I'm developing these set of habits that, honestly, nobody knows, and they're really small right now. But if I were honest and I extrapolated those little habits out over a year or two or five, I could have some real regrets. This conversation that I'm having with this other person, it's just kind of a small thing right now, and we're the only ones who know about it. But if you extrapolate that conversation out over a hundred more conversations, and then one day I could have some really big regrets. We see it so clearly in our kids. We know with our kids, you got to get to it early. you got to stop it early. But we need to see that in ourselves. We need to honestly look in the mirror and realize These little things that I'm excusing are going to become big regrets one day. Preventing future regrets involves making choices now that are in line with the person I want to be one day. Making choices now that are in line with the person that I see when I fast forward my life a year or two or five or ten. It's the seeds that I'm planting the habits that I'm choosing now. It's it's the harvest analogy. In order to get that harvest, I have to plant seeds that will lead to that. One of the problems that we have is we often have a clear idea of the harvest that we want. We just don't plant the seeds to get us there. This is kind of a silly example, but, but go with me. If someone complained about not having a, a, a corn harvest, and then you talked to them and found out, well, they never planted corn, you would think they were crazy. Like, why, why would you expect a harvest of corn when you never planted corn? Why, why would you expect a harvest of tomatoes and you never planted any tomatoes? But whatever you planted is what you can expect to harvest someday. And in our lives... Often, we have an image of this is what I'd like, this is what I want. We just, we, we don't plant those seeds, so we never get the harvest. Some of us look at our marriage, and we want a marriage that is uh, trusting, right? loving, exciting, adventurous, romantic, committed. But the problem is, unless we're planting those seeds now, We're not going to harvest that marriage a year from now or five years from now, ten years from now or 50 years from now. It's never going to happen. As parents, parents would say, yeah, the the type of relationship I want with my kid, I I want them to be able to talk to me. I want them to know that I'm on their side. I'm their biggest encourager. They can trust me. I, I want them to know that I always have time for them. They're a priority in my life. We spend time together. That's the sort of relationship I want with my kid. Then the, the question is, are you planting the seeds that are going to lead toward that harvest? Spiritually, we're in church, right, Sunday morning. Spiritually, we would all say, I want to be somebody who prays. I, I want to know God's word. I, I want to be faithful. I, I want to worship. Are, are you planting those seeds, though? spiritually, that are going to lead to a harvest in your life of that kind of spiritual relationship. Let me shift metaphors for just a minute and jump jump into the Proverbs. 
This is Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control or self-discipline. Like a city whose walls are broken through is the person who is not in control, in command of their desires, their impulses, their habits, their thought life, their attitude. Now, we don't we don't have walled cities anymore. Monroe doesn't have a wall around it. Loganville doesn't have a wall. Between doesn't have a... The metropolis of Between does not have a wall around it. We don't have walls around the city. It's not important for us. But in the Old Testament, this, this, was, this was important. Because there were enemies everywhere that would want to come and take what is yours, take over. And so almost every city... As a defensive measure, as its primary defensive measure, had a wall, strong, solid wall around its city, and, and, and where it didn't, then that city was vulnerable. Broken walls meant a vulnerable city. I mean that anybody could come in at any time and take whatever they wanted. Broken walls meant a vulnerable city to attack, to, to your greatest treasures being taken away, whether you wanted them to or not. And, and so it was very common to have a wall around your city in the Old Testament. The most well-known example of that would be in the book of Nehemiah. God's people are um, overtaken by the Babylonians. They destroy the city, destroy the temple, tear down the walls, take all of God's people away into slavery, Forty years or so later, they start to come back because the Persians have now taken over. So they, they start to come back, and what they notice, first of all, is that the walls are all torn down. If you read the, the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, it's all about this problem. This is how Nehemiah starts. They said to me, this is Nehemiah speaking, they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. They're in great trouble. Why? They don't have a wall. They're not protected. They're in great trouble. If you, if you read the book of Nehemiah, it's the whole story of how he comes in and leads the effort to rebuild the wall a day at a time. How do you rebuild a wall? Well, in the Old Testament, you rebuilt the wall one stone at a time, stone after stone, brick after brick, day after day, consistently doing what you needed to do to repair the wall that was protecting you, that was protecting the things that you value and treasure the most. It was day after day, brick after brick, stone after stone. They, they didn't mass produce the wall. They didn't order sections from Amazon. There was no 3D printer. It wasn't fast. It was slow. Day after day, stone after stone, brick after brick. Now, our personal lives are like this. Broken walls mean a vulnerable city, but, but in our individual lives, broken walls mean vulnerable people. Where we lack self-discipline, where, where we lack defenses against the attack of the enemy, the one who would want to destroy us, we're vulnerable. We're vulnerable to regret. We're vulnerable to bad decision-making. 
And so day after day, stone after stone, habit after habit, you and I have to build choices in line with the person that God has called us to be. In line with the person that God has shown us in the fast-forward reel. This is who I want you to be as a person. This is who I want you to be as a spouse. This is who I want you to be as a follower of Jesus. And day after day, stone after stone, brick after brick, choice after choice, you and I have to build that wall. Now, that sounds like work, right? And some of it is. Sometimes it is work. Some, sometimes it is deciding to feel the pain on the front end so that, I, so that I don't feel the greater pain of regret on the back end. It, it, it's that I'm going to feel the pain of discipline on the front end so that I can avoid the greater pain of regret on the back end. It, if we're honest, if you look back on your life, you go back to those moments of regret and, and you could probably say, like I could say for my regrets, if I had been willing to experience the pain of discipline in that moment, it would have cost me a lot less than the pain of regret that I felt later on. It's kind of like using a um, credit card. We either feel the pain the moment that we pay for something? Or we decide we don't want to feel the pain, so we're going to charge it, and we're going to wait until later to pay. The problem is, when we don't feel the pain up front, we enjoy whatever it is a lot more at that time, right? Like, I'll have two of those. I'll have dessert, three desserts, and I'm going to take one home. Like, when we're not feeling the pain of actually having to pay for it in that moment, we can just keep going, right? There's no pain. And then the credit card bill shows up later. And we realize, number one, wow, I spent a lot more than I thought I was going to spend. And, by the way, they've added interest to this whole thing. So now, on the back end, I'm paying more than I would have if I had felt the pain in the moment. That's the way regret and discipline are. We feel the pain of discipline on this end. And sometimes it's a little bit of pain. Sometimes it's just weight. Sometimes it's resisting impulses and desires in my heart. Sometimes it's saying no to what I want because I know that's not going to lead me where God wants me to go. We experience the pain of discipline on the front end or we experience the pain of regret on the back end. Most of us who've experienced regret we come to a point where we look back and we clearly see what we did wrong. Or we can at least honestly admit, I shouldn't have. I wish I wouldn't have. In that sense, our rewind button works great. Our, our rewind button shows the tape clearly. And we get to a point after regret or in regret where we're able to say, I definitely shouldn't I've done that. What, what I'm trying to encourage us to think about today is let's work the fast-forward button more than the rewind button. The rewind's gone. God's forgiven us. You can't change it. But if you could take 
some of your days, some of your weeks, some of your life occasionally, and fast forward to the person that God wants you to be in the future, and then begin living towards that person, you might live without regret. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. That's the discipline part of it. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others... I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Here's here's Paul, writes much of the New Testament, preacher, pastor, church planter, mentor to younger pastors. And Paul, who who was always honest, has this moment of transparency in 1 Corinthians and says, let me peel back the curtain for you because you may think that it's easy for me because of my position. You may think that it's easy for me because of my story. I want you to know I get up every day and I have to discipline myself toward the righteousness of God. Every day, just like an athlete, that's the metaphor that he used. Just like an athlete gets up and trains every day and gets certain muscles every day, prepares themselves every day. I want you to know I'm no better than you. I'm no different from you. I have to get up every day and discipline myself toward the person God has called me to be so that I don't live with regret. And Paul says, I take this seriously. I'm not like a runner that's just running aimlessly. I have a goal here. I want to be the man God's called me to be. I'm not like a boxer that's just punching in the air. I take this seriously because I want to be the person that God has called me to be. And then Paul says, at some point, if I'm not, if I'm not that person, everybody's going to find out. Paul knew what we often deny in our own habits. Paul knew that eventually everything comes out. Like eventually everything gets discovered. Eventually other people see what I thought I had hidden. Paul says, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be the person with personal regrets, and I don't want to be the person that people point at and say, he gave us all of these lectures, he taught us all of these things, and he wasn't even living it himself. Paul did not want to live with regret. And so, every day, he lived with discipline. He lived with self-control. He made the choices that were necessary to move him towards the person that he knew God wanted him to be. Now there is, on the one hand, an obvious emphasis on my need to control me. There's an obvious emphasis on my ability to bring discipline to the areas of my life. Discipline to my impulses and my desires and my habits and my choices and my attitude. But fortunately, the Bible doesn't leave it all up to you and me. Fortunately, God has already given us what we need to live a life of godly discipline. God's put it in you if you are a follower of Jesus. 
give you a couple examples. This is 2 Peter chapter 1. God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. God's put it in you. God's given you, by His power, God has given you the ability, given me the ability to live the life He's called us to. This is not merely whether you're strong enough or good enough or or bold enough or smart enough. It's do you trust God enough? Because God has put within us, who are His followers, God's put within us not only a desire to please Him, not only a desire to live for Him, but He's put power in us that we can say no when we need to say no. We can say yes when we need to say yes. We can build a wall around our life. Paul says something similar in 2 Timothy. For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid or fearful, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. The Spirit of God puts within us the ability to live with self-discipline. And we are either going to feel the pain of self-discipline or we're going to feel the pain of regret later on. Which are you going to choose? The band's going to come out in just a second, and, and they're going to sing a wonderful song about God's forgiveness. Like, we don't have to rewind the tape anymore. It's, it's been forgiven. We don't have to allow what happened in the past to be a bully today. We've received the forgiveness of God, and out of that grace and forgiveness, you and I are now free, and we have the power to become the person that God wants us to be in our future. So, we don't want you to stand. We, we, don't, we don't want you to sing. We just want you to hear this song and take this next moment to, to click the fast-forward button in your life. Who do I think God wants me to be a year from now? And what are the habits I need to be that person? What do I want, want my spiritual life to look like a year from now? What's the spouse? What's the, the parent that I want to be a year from now? And how do I start planting the seeds that will result in that harvest? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you not only give grace to forgive the past, Grace so that we don't have to hit the rewind button and, and relive it all again and beat ourselves up over what's already passed. But you give us the power to live in the fast-forward mode too. You give us the power of self-discipline and a sound mind and, and, and good thinking. You give us self-control so that we can look into the future and we can know this is the harvest that I want to experience in my life. This is the person I want to be. And so with God's help, through the power of His Holy Spirit, I'm going to start planting the seeds that will lead me to be that person in Christ. All over this room, there are people perhaps, and there's 
there's a hole in the wall around their life. Maybe it's not even a hole. Maybe it's just a crack right now. And they've been denying it. They, they've been trying to explain it away. They've tried to convince themselves it's not really there. I pray at this moment, in this service, they would be honest like Paul. They would be honest and they would say, I got to repair that. I got to fix that. Because it's going to keep growing if I don't. I'm going to be vulnerable. The precious parts of my life are going to get stolen away if I don't take this seriously. So I pray today that through the Holy Spirit's power, that part of their wall would be rebuilt and mended. I pray it in Jesus' name.